Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to the Basu and Gade Notebook. Uh, we're back after the holidays. We're uh, Friday, January 5th, 2024, and I'm with Arpin Basu. Hello, Arpin. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. Happy yeah. New Year. Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, feels like forever since we've spoken to you, but it's only been a week and a half. But uh, you're in the middle of the hockey season. This is an eternity. It is. And so a lot's happened since we last spoke to you. And uh, so we wanted to we wanted to sum things up. But I think with the current events of the Canadians kind of does apply to what's happened since we last spoke, which was obviously prior to, prior to Christmas. Um, you know, the latest development being uh, the, the season-ending injury to Christian Dvorak and all the repercussions that may have. But, you know, it, it's you look at Christian Dvorak and, and he is kind of the epitome of of meh. Like, it's just kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Christian Dvorak, you know, whatever. But he's really kind of a, a key. Vanilla, he was a key. Co- Vanilla is very tasty compared to Christian Dvorak. Yeah, exactly. And so, but you know, he is a guy that that um, played a role in sort of the development of the Canadians' identity, mostly prior to Christmas, because he was basically not available after Christmas. He got hurt in the first game after Christmas in Carolina. Tried to play through it for a game in Florida. Uh, playing through a torn pectoral sounds very painful, um, but but really, kind of before that. Um, you know, in the lead up to the Christmas break, the the sort of the momentum the Canadians build and, and some of the continuity that they build in terms of the way they play. Mr. Dvorak had, a, had a, maybe more to do with that, more as a facilitator of that than I think anyone, ourselves included, probably realize. Yeah, I, I think it's not so much as what he does or how well he does things, but he's reliable in the sense that he doesn't put his team in trouble. And... He takes some minutes and some responsibilities off other guys. So there's so much already that's put on the shoulders of Nick Suzuki, and there's so many responsibilities already on Sean Monahan that when you have a healthy Christian Dvorak, at least it eases up their schedule a little bit and their 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 playing time. Uh, you know whether it's defensive zone starts, uh, you know some key faceoffs, uh, some you know, some some of the play on the special teams. So it's not necessarily that he's a huge factor in the game. He's 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 a, the ultimate low event guy. But I think that we're going to see the fact that he's not there now more because of the impact that it's going to have on Suzuki and Monaghan, even more than prior at the beginning of the season when he missed the beginning of the year and Doc was already out. Back then they had Alex Newell. Who could who could you know take his place and be the de facto third line center until he would come back? So now things have changed, and we cannot make jokes about Dvorak being out and and what day is he going to come back? This time, you know, we can predict that he's going to be back next season, right. but it, it's going to be uh, it, it's going to it's going to be tricky for the Canadians. It will be tricky, uh, especially for Sean Monahan, I think, because. They cannot squeeze the lemon too much with that guy. They cannot. They cannot ask too much out of him. Uh, there's a. There's probably a Goldilocks zone in his usage that yeah. that would be preferable to find uh, because at the beginning of the season he was probably their best player. He his performances dipped, and honestly, 
I mean, he's been better. He sort of recovered from that, but he's never regained the level that he showed in the first 10 games. So how do you do that? And how do you do that when you ask him to do so much without Doc, without Dvorak, and without Newhook being there? Well, I mean, here's so, – so here is – What happened prior to, we all remember the joke being that Dvorak was out until November 4th. Remember, it was a very specific date. It was a game in St. Louis. We all knew he was coming back that day. Um, so in the, in the four games prior to that day, Sean Monaghan played 21 minutes, 21-49, 18-51, 21-09, and scored in all four of those games. Yeah. So he was rolling, you know, and it's actually – shortly after Dvorak's return and shortly after his minutes went down because when Dvorak came back, Monaghan went down to 1540, 1658, 1829, 1844. So he was climbing, but uh, it was definitely lower than what he was doing prior to Dvorak's return. But Dvorak's return also seemed to trigger, um, you know, a, a kind of a slump for Monaghan. And, and, we can't forget what was going on with Josh Anderson at the time. And Anderson was often playing with Monaghan at that time. Uh, but, you know, because of what Anderson was going through, I think Sean Mon the fact that Sean Monaghan stopped producing, uh, you know, fell under the radar a little bit. So now that we've had, you know, three games, really four, if you count the game in Florida, because Dvorak was playing, but he wasn't a hundred percent himself. Uh, you know, Monaghan in those games has played 18-22, and 19 minutes last night against Buffalo. Um, and so is creeping back towards the levels that he was at just prior to Dvorak's return. And, you know, it's, you know, I asked Marty, uh, Martin St. Louis at, at practice today, does he have, what is that Goldilocks zone for Monaghan? Does he have a window that he needs to hit? to be effective. And, you know, Martin didn't, didn't think he did, you know, he didn't, he doesn't think he thinks he can be productive with low ice time with high ice time. He doesn't really see any limitations that he needs to put on him. And we shouldn't talk about Sean Monaghan. Like he's some ancient player. He's actually, you know, yes, he's had injuries, but those injuries have made it so that he hasn't played that many games over the last several years. So, You know, if, if those injuries are not slowing him down, the actual mileage on his body for, for a guy who's, you know, who's, who's verging on 30 or has he hit 30? I keep forgetting. But anyhow, he's, I think he's 29. Yeah. I, think I always so. forget his age. Um, it's not, it's not like a normal 29 year old, you know? I mean, he had like a, a good three year period where he didn't really play that many games. So, um, so I think this is going to be the most interesting thing to see over the coming weeks is, is what is Sean Monaghan's Goldilocks zone? Is there a Sean Monaghan Goldilocks zone? Because if there is, and he surpasses it, um, you know, he's become kind of pivotal to the Canadians continuing what they kind of established as their identity prior to Christmas. And even after Christmas, which is the Suzuki line going, driving the bus but having a secondary line that can support that line and that line, it changed from game to game. Right. Uh, it was often Monaghan, Evans and Anderson. Uh, but the beauty of having Dvorak is sometimes it could be his line, no matter what his line looked like. Um, without his line there, 
Evans can, they no longer have the luxury of putting Evans with Monaghan, having that righty lefty face-off split. Um, and Evans now becomes the center of that line that they hope can be that sort of backup secondary line. And with all due respect to Jake Evans, he's, he's, he's not very likely to, to do that. So, um, I think you know the injury, especially waiting awaiting Newhook's return, puts a decent amount of pressure on Sean Monahan to sort of consistently provide that secondary option that can support the Suzuki line in you know continuously providing what the Canadians need to win games. Yeah. So just to remind people, uh, Alex Newhook went down uh, early December. He was uh, scheduled to miss 10 to 12 weeks, which brings us to mid to late February. So if he is on schedule, just before trade deadline, the mm-hmm. Canadians should have a healthy Alex Newhook. Uh, and then they would be in a position to decide what they do with Sean Monahan prior to the trade deadline. Yeah. But I agree. I, I understand Martin Saint-Louis would want to commit to, to identify what would be the ideal usage for Sean Monahan, because why would you do that? Why would you say, oh, you know, it'd be better if we kept him under 19 minutes? Uh, because there'll be nights where he's going to play 20 or 21. Um, mm. So it, there's there was no there's no benefit for him to commit. But I go back to no. my question. Uh, do you think that there's a chance there that the Canadians might overuse him and that it affects either their ability to trade them or that basically it, it shines a different sort of light on his play for the future in the hopes that they would want to resign it. Well, so those are two different questions to me. The, the first one is, is Marte St. Louis, might he overuse Sean Monaghan? A hundred percent. He might overuse Sean Monaghan because he already has, we've already seen it at the beginning of the season. He was overusing him. And appeared to realize that once Dvorak arrived as an option, um, dialed back Sean Monaghan's ice time. And actually, last after the game against the Sabres, you know, Monaghan said, you know, I asked him about how a lot of the things Dvorak did are now going to fall on his shoulders. He's like, well, it's going to be like the beginning of the season. And I want that. You know, I want to be out there for important things. Every player says that. You know, Nick Suzuki, yeah. after the game, said, well, I'm not going to complain about getting all two minutes on the power play. No player is going to complain about too much ice time, uh, but 100, there's there's a risk that that Martin Saint Louis will overuse him, and who could blame him? Really, I mean, if he's playing well and he's he's got such diminished forces um, as he does right now, he could hardly be blamed for doing that because I think there is something to be said about Martin Saint Louis' time as coach. You know, every time that he has made some inroads with this club, something has happened that has sort of sideswiped that. And now it's this. Uh, I think he would have great interest in wanting to maintain just, just the quality of play, not necessarily the results, but just the, the consistency and the quality of of the team's play. I mean, we saw how disappointed Marty was after the game against Buffalo And he said at some point, you know, we didn't have our A game. And it's been it's been a while since we haven't had our A game right. where we haven't played well. And that was what was disappointing to him. And he said the word disappointing about seven different times Friday morning, referring to that 
performance. And and frankly, if you look at it objectively, it really wasn't that bad. It's not as if it's not as if the Sabres actually blew them out of the water. It was it was a close game. It just got away from them. The penalty killing wasn't good again after a couple of games where it had done well. But it it wasn't wasn't that terrible a performance. It was pretty bad. It was it was not great. And and I, I I'm of the firm belief that the first home game after a long road trip, that whole hockey thing is an actual thing. It's difficult. Um, I think we saw an example of it in that game. But it's um, but as to your second point, your second question about Sean Monahan at the trade deadline, I firmly believe that no matter what happens because the other thing to remember is that you know tanner pearson was on the ice today Raphael harvey Pernard was on the ice today for the second time they are getting some guys back um yeah which, is about 10 days away right so <laughs> you do have the potential of of having some more nhl bodies in your lineup and um i'm of the firm belief and the firm mind and i wrote about this last night is that you know no matter what Sean Monahan has to be available at the trade deadline. And Dvorak's loss obviously makes him more important to the Canadians, but at the end of the day, that can't matter when it comes to the management of Sean Monahan. Um, you know, unless the Canadians steadfastly believe that he is part of the future of this franchise or or an important transition piece as a veteran guy to sort of bridge the gap between this core and the next wave, um, I think, and and perhaps this increased role in Dvorak's absence will only make him more valuable, and maybe he'll he'll show more in the next month or so, and will make him even more attractive at the deadline. But I can't imagine the Canadians wouldn't be able to find a, a relatively robust market for Monaghan services, especially considering. There doesn't seem to be too many players likely to be available that would fit his kind of profile as sort of a, a really high-end depth center um, who could do a lot of things and and play in a lot of situations. And, and so, you know, barring, oh, yeah. barring some run that shows them, that gets them into a playoff spot at the end of February, like firmly into a playoff spot at the end of February, I think you got to trade Sean Monaghan before the There's trade no deadline. There's no doubt that there would be a market for him. I mean, on certain teams, he could be a second-line center. Yeah. Uh, on good teams that are just weak down the middle, uh, there's a couple of teams that could use him as a second-line uh, center. He could definitely be a second-line winger, and he can, for sure, uh, be a third-line center. So, And he can play on both special teams. I mean, it's, so there's a lot, to, yeah. a lot to like, plus the salary, plus the experience, the low-maintenance aspect of the guy. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. There would be a market for him. Uh -huh. But even though I'm a proponent, I agree with you in the sense that I'm a proponent of the Canadians trading him because they the whole idea was to take a, a veteran player and basically flip him for you know younger, fresher assets. But I don't think that the Canadians necessarily see that the same way. When so Because, and I don't, I don't expect it to be a given anymore that he's going to be traded. And when you said that you thought they might be a transitional piece, I think that you're right on the money with that yeah. because uh, yeah. So you've got, you've got Suzuki and doc that would be your top two centers. Uh, 
I think that over the long run, they see Alex Newhook as a winger and not yes. as a center. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dvorak, last, next year is going to be the last year of his contract. Since he joined the Canadians, he's played less than 59% of the games. When you will have, when that, that third season will have ended, he'll have played less than 59% of the games because of various injuries. So you cannot always rely on him to be there. So you could have Monaghan either be a top six winger or your third line center. You could move him around. Uh, but he's, he's a well-liked guy and someone who can really help stabilize things on your roster. And the other thing is, if you want to improve your top six, uh, it's, it's, you don't know yet what's going to be available on the market. Uh, they don't know if they're going to be able to fetch the right pieces on the training market or even on the UFA market. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not forget that last year, uh, when Monaghan obviously was injured for the last two-thirds of the season, but he when he renegotiated with Montreal... It was not easy to go, you know, it, it was not necessarily a smooth and, you know, something that was agreed upon in 24 hours. It dragged along until, what, mid-June, late June? So the same could happen this time around, especially since the fact well, I don't think the he, fact I don't that think, he's, I don't think he's, he's healthy. Mark, he's not going to take a hometown discount. I don't think he will. He already did that once. Right. And now, especially if he stays healthy, he's going yeah. to be able to say to other teams, look, I'm – I'm Sean Monahan. I still got a lot of mileage left, a lot to give, and now I can I can chop around. So if he wants to say Montreal and the Canadians wants to keep him, they'll have to they have to step up. But it's not something necessarily that's going to be decided or or all negotiated prior to trade deadline. So let's just be open to the possibility that the Canadians might keep him before the deadline, finish the season with him, and cross their fingers that they might agree. To a deal with him later. Yeah, but you see, this is this is this is kind of my point. Yes, that might happen, a hundred percent. Especially, I mean, this is the thing: is that there's always a balance between managing the future and managing your present club, and you have to always appreciate the investment that the people on your team currently are making into the season that is that is that is that is occurring. That is that is mm-hmm. current. Um, and I, I, I'm a full proponent of that. You absolutely do have to respect what's going on the effort being made in the room to do whatever so if the canadians are in a position where they're they're still on the fringes of the playoff race uh or they've played themselves into the fringes of the playoff race i should say because i think now they're really fringe they're very much on the fringe of the playoff race but if they you know they have a more favorable schedule between now and mid-february um so if they manage to do that that it's going to be really difficult for Ken Hughes and Jeff Gordon to go to their, their head coach and their players and say, Hey, we're going to take away one of your most important players because he represents a real opportunity for us on the trade market. But if you don't have some sort of certainty that you're going to be able to sign Sean Monaghan to a reasonable contract as a transitional guy, not breaking the bank for him and have him express that I don't need to have the bank broken for me to stay, which I don't, I'm not sure he's going to do. I mean, yes, he loves playing in Montreal, but I mean, look at the hoops they had to jump through just to get him to $2 million. They had to give him that, that wonky $15,000 bonus uh, that he hit for playing literally the one more game than he played last year. I think it was um, 
just because Sean Monahan was hell bent on getting to that two million dollar figure. Now, if he plays a full eighty two game season this year, what what figure is he going to be hell bent on then? You know, I mean, it's it's, and I'm not blaming him. Hell, it, it's at, at his stage of his career, he should absolutely try and cash in on a big deal right now. For sure, the best way for him to do that would be for him to get traded to a playoff team, for him to play in the playoffs, um, perform in the playoffs, and then you can go out and get a pretty nice, healthy deal, probably a four- or five-year deal at a decent amount of money that I don't think the Canadians yeah, shouldn't can, necessarily pay him. Like that's, but that's, you cannot have it both ways in the sense that if there is not a an enough robust market for him at the deadline... And yeah, the we, both bit, we both agree there will be. We both agree there will be. Yeah, there's going to be a market. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know how big... You know, there's always a tipping point where a GM says, this is good enough of a return or I'll take my chances and keep the guy. Uh, if, if, for, if for some reason the, re the return is too underwhelming for can't use, uh, then by the same token, if there's not a robust, that's a robust enough market, then you cannot expect Monaghan to break the bank in the summer. One goes with the other. Because it's uh, it's supply. Not necessarily. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. No. I mean, it's one thing for a team to say we're not willing to give you assets for this player. It's another mm -hmm. thing for a team to say, well, now we've gotten this bump in the salary cap. We have X number of contracts off the books. The playoffs have shown us that we have a deficiency in depth at center. Um, we, we have we don't have to give up any assets other than cap space to get this guy. Now we're willing to commit to this guy is different than at the deadline saying, well, we're not going to give you anything off our team. So, and so we're going to have to give you whatever level of draft pick the Canadians would, would, would want or seek or prospects that they would seek. It's a different equation when a guy's just available as a free agent, it's, it's not the same. So it's, it's. Yeah. Know, because the pool of, of potentially interested teams is not the same. It's, it's larger. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, and it's, and it, and it, and the cost is, is, is calculated differently. Like cap space definitely has value, but let's be honest over the coming years, the value of cap space is going to diminish somewhat as the cap catches up to the realities of, of, of the finances of the league right now. Um, you know, the supply of cap space is going up, mm -hmm. which means the value of cap space is going down. So it's like, it's, it's, You know, I, I'm of the mind. I think it's it is. You're right. It's entirely possible that the Canadians decide to keep him around uh, as a reward for the work that this group has done. And let's see what happens over the next six weeks. Um, you know, it's possible that there'll be nothing to reward by then, and this will all be moot. Uh, we're assuming that what we've seen happen with the Canadians since Christmas. Um, where they went into one difficult building after another and, yes, lost three in a row, but were in each of those games in the third period, uh, showed a certain resiliency and, 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 and sort of uh, attitude. I mean, Marty keeps using the word attitude, and I think it's correct. Like, their attitude was like, okay, we'll show you. You guys think we're going to lose all these games? We're going to get blown out? Well, we're not, and they didn't. They lost them all. They lost the first three. Yeah. They were in them. Um, and and then they went into Dallas and beat them uh, pretty handily other than the last six minutes, you know. And so it's 
Well, that... it's largely in part to Sam Montembeau, though. Uh, yeah. Yes. 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 But I would say I that was more towards the end. I mean, listen, this the team's not perfect. I think there was there were stretches of that game where. I mean, let's also be honest, they forced Dallas for a lot of that game to play a bad game. Like they were in their face and they kind of, they took Dallas out of their game to some extent. Um, Well, there's, there are 18 shots for is their lowest total of the season. Yeah. But I thought it was, you know, there were moments where Sam had to bail them out, but it was really more toward in the third period. I thought Mm -hmm. more than anything else. Anyhow. All that being said, there were, there were periods in each of those games where that was the case, you know? And so yeah. Um, point being is that if that continues without Dvorak, which is entirely possible because, you know, Dvorak is not exactly the catalyst for any of this. Um, and if they deserve to be rewarded, then then maybe a Canadian's management says, okay, fine, we'll take the chance. We'll keep Monahan around as a reward because um, – what we get back for him is not worth the discontent it would cause in our room to lose such an important player. That calculation I can, I can accept, but saying that, well, what's out there isn't really all that great. Let's keep him and roll the dice that he'll sign a, a, a sweetheart contract with us. Cause he likes it so much in Montreal. You know, I think he's already done that once and he's already made it clear that he did it in an effort to prove that he's worth more. And I don't know how much money the Canadians should devote to a transition guy. You know, I mean, they already have a $6.5 million transition guy. <laughs> they already have a $5.5 million transition yeah. guy. They have a lot of expensive transition guys. Adding another one doesn't seem like prudent money management. And it's not something that, you know, historically, like Jeff Gorton in, in New York, when they went through that, I mean, he identified the veterans that he kept were like Zibanejad, which was, you know, who wouldn't keep Zibanejad after the trade he pulled uh, to get him? Uh, and and yeah, Kreider. Kreider. And Kreider, yeah. basically. I mean, that was it. Like, it was more or less those two guys. Yeah. And the rest was just a full a full turnover. You know, he traded Hayes. He traded Nash. He traded uh, McDonough. He traded Miller. He traded Zuccarello. He bought out Lundquist. I mean, it was just like... It was a full-on clean-out. And so it's not it's not apples and apples because the Rangers were just starting a rebuild and the Canadians are a couple of years into it right now. But it's, you know, I don't, I don't think – I think what's instructive of that is that he saved his money for the Panarins and, and Fox eventually and Truba and all the guys he went and got using the assets that he acquired by trading all those veterans away. I think what's interesting here is that if the Canadians want to get better next year and add a significant player on their top six, top nine at worst, uh, at worst, but let's say top six, they might want to trade some guys on defense that they've identified that they can move forward without. Mm-hmm. And if they add a winger on their top six, bringing Monaghan back, he would he might be redundant with Dvorak because they would end up pretty much occupying the same spot and having the same significance or same role on the team. So basically Well he'd be a better Dvorak. Ch- for sure. Yeah. But if you choose if you choose to pay more maybe let's say an equivalent amount of money, four, let's say four four million dollars to Monahan for three, four years, whatever, you need you need to move 
Dvorak because if you keep both, well, then as you said, that. you have way too many, you know, late 20s transitional guys, as you said. So mm-hmm. it's probably it might come down to choosing between one and the other. And of course, people will say, well, let let have them trade Dvorak, but it might be easier. Yeah, good luck that. with that. No, good luck with that. I've spoken to scouts about the possible before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was convinced that Dvorak had some sort of trade value. I must have spoken to five scouts about him. Not one said they would recommend to their GM to get him. Not one. I mean, depending on the cost, obviously, but his salary makes him borderline untradeable. Yeah. Like the Canadians would have to eat money to get him traded, and which they could do. I mean, it's, it's as you mentioned, he'd be entering the last year of his contract, so it's it's not outside the realm of possibility. The Canadians say, "Okay, we'll, we'll eat fifty percent of it for this year." take him for a fifth round pick or whatever, someone might bite, but he's not, he doesn't have near the trade value. I thought he did at least based right. on the conversations I've had. So, and, well, and honestly, three, it's not, o- three overwhelming seasons in Montreal. He might not be the Christian of that Burge went to get. He's not. And, and I kept, I kept, I kept seeing on, on Twitter yesterday, there was like a resurgence of, of wow, what a terrible move Burge made getting Dvorak because he tore his pec, which was odd. But it's also because you know the, it's it, the season-ending injury led people to kind of bring up his player cards and whatever. And you know he's had a he's had an underwhelming season as he has his entire time in Montreal. Um, I still don't think that was a terrible bet by Burge Um You know, not matching the offer sheet on Kotkaniemi was. Not a bad decision, uh, even though he's playing marginally better this season. He's probably not worth he's, what the Carolinas. Not worth pl- his money. No. He's not worth what Carolina's paying him. Uh, Dvorak had shown at that point that he was more than a serviceable player. That he was, you know, perhaps verging and and with his age and everything. Like I don't think it was a terrible bet. It didn't work out. It turned out to be a terrible bet. Uh, but if you if you go back to that moment, uh, you know I don't I don't know if it was that bad of a bet based on how what he had done in Arizona up until that point. No, I but agree. but just to bring it back to 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 this thing is that I still firmly believe, and whether they do so or not doesn't change my belief that you know Sean Monahan is the best trade chip this team has. Right now, unless they put David Savard on the market, in which case, in which case, I think multiple teams would be very interested in getting him and would be willing to pay somewhat of a premium um, to get him. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's that's not clear. That to me, that's even less clear that the Canadians would be willing to do that um, and to kind of remove his veteran presence from the young defense. I think they see benefits to having him around. You know, every young defenseman on that team looks up to David Savard in a very, in a significant way. Um, I could see that. And plus he has another year left, so there's no urgency there. But, you know, so if you take him out of the mix, which if I'm the Canadians, I would put him in the mix. But if he's not, then Sean Monaghan's their best trade chip and they have to, they have to use the trade deadline to acquire some assets in some way. Uh, Because the one thing that I do know is that you know, Canadian's management, no matter what this team does, they know they're not all that close to what they want to become. 
Yeah. They know that. And it's, it's, so you have to, you have to have that knowledge while also recognizing what this current team is doing. So if they go on, let's say they play like 600 hockey over the next six weeks. Let's say not likely. In fact, it's extremely unlikely, but let's say they do. Um, if you're Kings management, you can't just poo poo that and say, well, we're not going to get blinded by this. We're just going to sell as much as we can. You can't do that. So, but in Monaghan's case, especially with Newhook coming back around that time, it, it, they could justify it. And I think they should justify it and find a way to get him to a playoff team. And, and honestly, if I were talking to Sean Monaghan right now, I'd be like, it's, it would be the best thing for you too, for you to go to a playoff team, have a good playoff. And that'll get you the contract that you probably feel you deserve uh, on July 1st. Yeah, because the, the type of hockey, you know, in tight spaces. Yeah. He would, I think he would thrive in the playoffs. I, would, I, think, uh, I think so too. Yeah. It'd, it'd be a waste for him to play on a non-playoff team. Okay, so listen, let, let's move on because you mentioned, to, uh, you mentioned earlier the, uh, the, three, the three losses in a row. Uh, you know, in Carolina, and then the two games in Florida, uh-huh. uh, and then they won in Dallas. So I want just want to go back to that that holidays trip because we could say that the level of stability that Martin Saint Louis was able to get from his top nine, from his top three lines during that time, having some, you know, a, a very very effective first line that that found a new gear that's got clear chemistry going on the, the Slavkovsky very often one of the best uh you know forwards on the team night after night mm. uh and then you 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 were saying you know you had you need one more line obviously the pressure is going to be on Monahan now uh to do so because you got very limited goods behind but the fact that they have They, they were looking for that consistency. They sort of found it despite the win-loss uh, record. But now that it's going, how far are they going to, or how close are, gay, are they going to remain from that in the next little while with the current state of their forward group? Because, you know, they tried to play 11 forwards for a couple of games. They called up Emil Aineman. Uh He's going to be in uniform, and I think that, He's got a chance to do at forward what Jaden Struble did on defense. Yeah, uh, he does. You, you know, start with maybe limited amount of minutes, but you know, if he showcases himself properly, he'll be given the leeway to to get more. Um, but they'll need bodies and they'll need production because it's only been the Suzuki show, well, the Suzuki line show for the past little while. So collectively, yes, they've been engaged. Yes, they've been in the games and they made, they played significant periods and all that stuff. But it's offensively, it's been a, almost a, a one-line team. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying is that it's, it's – yes, it has. It's the one line that's been consistent. But if you go, like, on a game-by-game -game basis, there was always one other line that was good. And so that's – And that's what they need. I mean, what we've learned about this team is that they've kind of bought into a certain forechecking philosophy. Um, they are able to apply it, I would say, on average, two-thirds of the time in their games. 
Uh, and oftentimes those two thirds, wherever they fall in the game, uh, are enough to keep them in games. And so if they can get that up to like 80% of the time, 90% of the time, they give themselves a better chance of winning games. Because when they're on it, when they're in your face and they're taking away time and space and they're, and they're effective on the four check and they're, and they're not easy to get through the neutral zone against, um, they can be effective. And those are things that are not necessarily talent-based. The talent stuff for the lack of talent is the lack of scoring. And so, you know, and what are the Canadians doing this season? They're trying to, what is Martin St. Louis trying to do this season? He's trying to establish a baseline of how his team plays. And he has said it in the past. It doesn't matter who's in the lineup or who is, who's out of the lineup. The way we play doesn't change. In fact, I think he said it today. So it's, it's the fact that they're establishing something that resembles that somewhat consistently, uh, you know, is an achievement, I think for Martin St. Louis. Uh, And, and it's now going to be a challenge to maintain that and keep that going. But that's, uh, that's what this season's about, you know, is establishing that identity, having these players that will be part of the future. So, you know, who's in the lineup right now, who, 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 who will be a part of that future, the, this theoretical successful future that the Canadians might or might not have, you know, Slaff, obviously the whole first line, Slaff, Suzuki, Caulfield, maybe Alonin. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. So Gooley. Maybe Barron, maybe Harris, maybe Struble. I mean, it's just, but these these are guys who are in the mix to be part of that. Matt, even Matheson's in the mix to be part of that at that point. Um, so that's, that's nine guys, but only three for sure. Like three. Yeah. Oh, definite, four. Well, let, add Gooley to that. Add Gooley, right. So four. Yeah. But even if it's just those four, what's happening now in, in establishing this, this, the way they play, to have those four guys learning that and, and being effective at it and, and embracing it uh, will help when the rest of the core guys arrive, whether that's via trade, whether that's via free agency, whether that's via health, when Doc is back and Newhook is back, what have you, uh, when Ryanbacker gets here or Hudson or, 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 or Mayu or Jack is back, you know, it's, it's, that's going to help uh, just spread that. So I don't even know where I was going with that. I forget what the point was. <laughs> but that's what I look at when I look at the trip and the way the team is playing, whether they win or lose. That's what I look for is, yeah. are they playing a style that is recognizable game to game? And I think right now for the, maybe the first time under Martin St. Louis, I think they are. And that's that's what they should be focused on. When he talks about no matter who's in the lineup, we should be playing the same way game after game, I think it's really the influence of the Boston Bruins there. And you see it this year, mm-hmm. even though Krejci and Bergeron have retired and they were the ultimate Boston Bruins, they're gone, and yet the brand remains, the effectiveness remains, and they, the Bruins have remained the Bruins. They've been replaced by other guys, and you know they, they, the wheel keeps turning, and yet the recipes in place They, they, you might change the ingredients a little bit, but the recipe is in place. That's what Martin Saint Louis is looking for. That's an early, for, that's uh, an early Martyism that he's dropped, where he used to say the train has to keep rolling, yeah, and the cars might change and whatever, but the train, and you need, so you need a locomotive on that train, and so that's, 
the, the guys that are there now are potentially going to be that locomotive. And like for a long time in Boston, the locomotive was Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. And now it's Brad Marchand and Charlie McAvoy. And, but McAvoy had years under Bergeron. Pasternak, like these guys had years, uh, and mainly Pasternak and McAvoy had years under the Marchand, Bergeron, Krejci kind of regime, Chara even. Um, and they've just sort of taken that over. And so that's in an ideal world, that's what you want to establish. And if you were looking for another example, like a team that, that Marty admires a lot is, is his, his, his Tampa Bay Lightning and, and the way they operate. And, yeah. you know, same kind of deal, you know. Uh, people come and go. You have some core elements that have been there for a very long time, and they they know how the Tampa Bay Lightning want to play. The coach has been there for a very long time, so when people come in, they just slide in line and they just they play that way, and that's all there is to it. Like you don't have a choice. So that's what he's trying to establish, and it's, it's he's no not even close to getting there. But at least that process is seemingly starting now. Like it hasn't really started until, gosh. I would say it didn't. I would say it started when they lost in Boston, because it was sort of a wake up call, and the, they they it were was, all so. It was like an electroshock. Yeah, it was an electroshock. Yeah. It was it was it was, and really, since then they've been building up to the point where they have an identifiable identity, to some extent. I don't want to overplay it because, listen, they're far from perfect. They're not even close to being perfect. But they do have some recognizable elements of their game that exists from game to game. It, it doesn't yeah. change drastically. And even against Buffalo, as I mentioned earlier, it's not as if that wasn't a total horror show. But it was the first game in a long time where that they didn't have that as consistently as they did in the other games. Okay, so that game against Buffalo, we saw that for the second time that they were playing 11 forwards and seven defensemen. And I think that lately, during that trip, and the third during time. the two games, the third time, yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so they, they had... Uh, It was yeah, Tampa, Tampa, Dallas, Dallas and, and Buffalo. And yeah. then Buffalo. So that, uh, that group of seven defensemen, it seems as though the hierarchy has changed from... Yeah. Before they left for that trip to how it is now. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned Jaden Struble earlier. The, the minutes, his usage has increased progressively. And now he's, he's borderline top four defenseman. It's a little bit hidden in the fact that they were playing 7D recently. So you just look at, you know, identifying pairings and, and in different situations and how they're going to be, you know, it, the, Usage also is a uh, is is factored by by special teams and Struble is not being used uh, on special teams all that much, or or hardly at all. So I think, but it is is uh, is time on ice has increased. Uh, Barons has decreased, mm. and Kovacevic, who a month ago was playing 20 minutes a night, is now was top being pair threatened to be scratched. For the third time in the last six game, he's their 7D. And yeah. even in the situation where they had seven defensemen against the Sabres, uh, there was a situation in the second period where he had the option to just chip the puck out of his zone. He tried to make a play. Uh, it, it, he turned the puck over. The Sabres spent uh, quite a bit of time in the Canadian zone. And that 
ended his night. He did not play after that, didn't play at all in the third period. Uh-huh. He knows it, and he's he knows that he's struggling. He remains confident, but he knows that he needs to be smart about the way that he manages the puck. But he's back to being the Jonathan Kovacevic that we had pictured originally as the ideal seventh guy. It's just yep. that the guys in front of him now are different, right? You've got Struble, you got Baron there. You don't have Jackye, who's still in Laval. So mm-hmm. the whole the whole picture has changed. And to me, it, it 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 it's all for the best because the Canadians have a better better read on all those young defensemen that are that have turned pro that are that are readily available to them. And I think that they, they'll be in a good position in the summer to say, okay, of that group, which is the one guy or maybe the two guys that we can move and, and get some help somewhere else and which are the ones that we're going to invest in heavily and, you know, go with in the future? Yeah. Um, and it really, you know, it makes the waiver situation, I think, is what kind of – I think in an ideal world, they wouldn't have to make that call right now because you look at guys and sometimes guys just take longer, you know, and, and sometimes it's okay to leave young guys in the age. Like, look at what the Red Wings are doing with Simon Edmondson. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, he seems to be a guy who should be in the NHL at this point and yeah. they're slow playing it hard. Um, I could see the Canadians doing that with Logan Mayu, for instance. Um, you know, he's taken a while totally and... Agree. And he's just now starting to figure out the AHL at this point. You know, you remember when he got cut, Marte St. Louis is like, you know, would he you thought bet? He would play games in Montreal. Would you, would, you bet that he, would you bet that he would play games in Montreal this year? I would. You know, he very confidently said it, that we're going to see yeah. him at some point this season. But Logan Mayu is nowhere close to a call-up right now. And, and that's, that's a good thing. You know, I think the Canadians have made the decision that, um, and even Marte said it today. After practice, so how Mitchell Stevens is a guy who can play a role, is a veteran guy, um, can do certain things that they need out of that role, and most importantly, and he kind of slipped this in there, allows us to keep the young guys who are not quite ready yet in Laval. So referring to a Josh Hua or a uh, Sean Farrell or a Riley Kidney or what have you, in terms of at the forward position, but, you know, the Canadians have been pretty hell-bent from day one. You know, Haneman was Haneman was always identified as a guy that was just on the cusp of the NHL. So he's, I think, an exception to this. But, um, and I think Norlander is that guy, maybe on defense, if he's warranting a call-up, which I don't know if he is right now, but I think he would be that guy that they're not, they're, they'd be comfortable bringing him up and having him, on the fringes of the lineup or playing like limited minutes or if they had to. Uh, but guys like Wa, Kidney, Farrell, Mayu, um, you know, th- these are guys that they want to keep in Laval for this season, if not also next season. Like it's, they want them to fully develop there. So it's. Um, you could add Trudeau maybe to that. You could add Trudeau to that. I think he's, he's, yeah, I think he's in that grouping. Um, all, all similar age, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's like Mayu's 20, um, Jack is going to be 23 at the end of the month. 
So he's he's a little older, and and he's obviously not in that category. But uh, but I think the one caveat to that is like look at Struble. Like Struble is the one example where you know it could the argument could be made that Struble was not ready for the call up. He was he looked it by the way he was playing in Laval, but you could have easily made the argument that Struble is in that group of guys that we should keep yeah. in Laval and let them yeah. marinate. And he gets called up. The NHL style actually suits him better somehow. Um, and he's stealing chairs left, right, and center. You know, I mean, Martin was asked today, like, is, does, is Heineman in a position to steal a chair? And he had a little grin on his face and said, there's always room to steal a chair. And there's always opportunity. And, and the, the best line for him after practice on Friday that I found was that no coach cuts his bench in the first period. <laughs> Everyone pretty much starts on equal footing. It's it's up to you to force me to put you out there more. And so, you know, it's it's an interesting opportunity for Haneman, but on defense, you know, that's what Struble did. Is literally that. What Martin said there, that's Jaden Struble. And the, the Canadians that's the issue I have with saying like, oh, we're gonna identify this guy and that guy to get rid of. They could have identified honestly, like two years ago, they could have identified Jaden Struble as a guy they could have traded. Did not look like an NHL prospect in, in his junior year in Northeastern, let's say. And it would yeah, have been but a, you need to test those guys. Well, you that's need what to I'm test saying. those guys. It's that's, like, what that's my whole. That's my whole point is that they need to test those guys. It's like it, saying, "Oh, uh, let's trade Lane Hudson while he's got the highest value," because you'll see once he reaches the NHL, he won't be the same. Well, they'll want to make sure of that before they do anything with him or with Runbacker. You know, you just. You want but to, I think that uh, same principle applies to like Jordan Harris. That same principle applies to Jonathan Kovacevic. It doesn't. I still feel, even though Kovacevic is older, I'd maybe not apply to him as much. But like Jordan Harris to me is the perfect example. Like I don't know what he can be. I don't think you know what he can be. I'm not sure the Canadians know what he can be. They should find out first. Is what I'm saying. You know, it's like it's it's that's that's my, that's the point I'm trying to make in a very long winded kind of way. Is that that's not your style. No, that's it. <laughs> But they need to find out first. And so as long as they can push this, like, yes, like if, you know, if you lose Gustav Lindstrom, then not the end of the world, right? And even Kovacevic, to some extent, as great a guy as he is and as as, as unique a player, like, you know, a guy who's 6'5 and, and, and weighs 220 or whatever he does um, and has kind of the tools that he has is a valuable guy, you know, especially if you if you fashion yourself a playoff team. You know, it's like it's – Um, guys like Kovacevic are valuable in the playoffs. And so... Right-handed shot. Right shot, also. physical, heavy. Those are guys that, that playoff teams go are after. And so this whole rush, like this is like this whole rush that everyone feels, like every time we solicit questions for anything, How many people ask, like, what's going to happen on defense? We have so many defensemen. When are we going to trade defensemen? Like, there's no rush. And and for a lot of these guys, like, if you choose to trade Jordan Harris, what do you think you're going to get in return? Because if the Canadians don't know what he's going to be, I can sure as hell tell you that the Anaheim Ducks don't know what he's going to be or the, you know, the or the Colorado Avalanche don't know what he's going to be. Like, they might have some idea, but no one knows better than the Canadians. And, and it's – It's worth letting it play out. I mean, the risk is that he loses some trade value in the process, but 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I kind well, of. Well, he's. This, this, I, I think that they're player. starting to know more yeah. about those players because there, there's been, they've got a sample size now, mm-hmm. uh, but there just there's a misconception when you bring up you know the the comments or questions we get uh, from our listeners, uh, and they say, well, what are going to do? They, there's this misconception of. They need to move someone in order to make room for somebody else who's coming. Yeah. There's no, there's never a room that's a place that's given to somebody and you 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 trade somebody else so that the newly arrived king can sit on his throne. That doesn't yeah. happen except for Carey Price when they traded Cristobaluet. But that's yeah. that's about the only time. Uh, generally speaking, on a day to day basis, that that's not what happens. You know, the, the new kid, yeah, great. You're, you you come, you know, with full fanfare, and and everybody says great things about you. Now show us, show us on the NHL level well, what you can do. Remember and the la- steal the chairs. Well, remember the last time management tried to uh, force feed a young player on their coach. Yeah, the most, enter- last most, year. Enter- most entertaining part of last season was that. Was that. So, yeah, 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 it's not, you know, you can't, uh, you know, not everyone's Carlos Pena. You know, it's just <laughs> to, to, again, make okay, a money ball reference. Okay, you have to explain that one. Yeah, explain <laughs> yeah, that one, please. You know, where Billy Bean traded Carlos Pena because um, Art Howe would not play Scott Hadberg at first base. So what he did is he traded his regular first baseman and said, now you got to play Scott Hadberg at first base. So, That doesn't happen in real life. That is that is that made for a good scene in the movie, and that actually did happen in real life. But generally, general managers don't behave that way. And so, you know, by the end of the season, both David Reinbacher and Lane Hudson could potentially be in the greater Montreal area. Let's say, if not in Montreal, but they could be somewhere in Laval or in Montreal, uh, and they're going to get added to the mix. And 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 everyone. Um, Everyone's aware of it. And you know what? Like, listen, we were both in Laval on Tuesday, um, had a chance to speak to, to Jack. I, and, and I, I spoke to Mayu about this and he had what I thought was a really good quote. Like, I'm going to read it because in case you didn't read my story, which came out on Thursday, um, but his quote I thought was really mature. And so he said, you know, That's how we're going to get the best product on the ice. It's by pushing each other in practice every day. So, I mean, that's how the league works. That's how hockey works. There's guys coming and fighting for jobs. You've got to take a job at the end of the day if you want to play in the NHL. And once you take that job, there's another guy coming behind you that wants to take it as well. So he knows that there's going to be a lot of competition for seats in the NHL. He knows mm-hmm. that the Canadians are overloaded on defense. He's like, bring it on. Like, I am ready for that. I want to go and earn my spot. And if it's harder to get there, that'll only make us better. And that's, and that's right. the attitude that everyone has to have. Like, it's it's on. You know, when Reinbacker and Hudson get into the organization, when Jacki, with Jacki doing what he's doing in Laval, and I think, you know, our conversation with him, you know, we spoke to him for like 15 minutes, just the three of us. And he 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 was he was clear minded for the first time all season probably, um, where I thought his perspective on what he's being asked to do in Laval, but having the assurance that management told him you are a part of our future, you are trying, you are part of what we're trying to build here, but we need you to work on these things, has given him that clarity, you know. And so the Canadians, yeah. according to Arbor Jacki, sounds like they've kind of identified him as a core piece 
Why? Because of what we, you know, what we just mentioned with Kovacevic earlier is that he is exactly the type of guy that teams that have playoff success can lean on. Big, mean, skilled guy who can move. You know, they're rare. And uh, um, I think he has a, the uh, a perfect understanding of his path and his situation. And in that sense, the, uh, the, the ways quote from Martin Saint-Louis regarding mm-hmm. Slavkovsky perfectly applies to Jack Eye and Laval also. Yeah. Should we tell our listeners yeah. what the ways quote was? I could paraphrase it. Um, yeah. Cause we never yeah. brought it. I remember we, we recorded an episode and once, and I think that he, Marty had said it like the day before or that very same morning. Yeah, we never brought and it up. We were, yeah, we never brought it up. up. But listen, most people know what it, but basically paraphrasing, yeah. Marty one day said, hey, do you use Waze? So when Waze says it's going to take 35 minutes or X number of minutes to get somewhere, and then you start driving and an accident happens and a traffic jam pops up, what do you do? Do you turn around and you go home? Or do you find another way to get there? Waze is going to find you another way to get there. And eventually, you wind up getting there. You might not take the path that Waze laid out for you at the beginning, but you get there and you get through the obstacles along the way. So that was basically the the, the analogy he used for Slavkovsky. Um, but yeah, you're right. It applies to all sorts of different people. And right now, Jackai is dealing with an unexpected traffic jam and, and, and dealing with it quite well. You know, the, just to be clear, like it's that conversation. He he felt really good in his skin, and um, when he got to Laval, he did not seem like a guy who was good in his skin. He was shaken. At he was first, shaken. He didn't, and he admitted he didn't, it. He didn't completely understood why he was there. No, nope. and and he said, you know, he said he. I didn't think I had arrived necessarily, but he didn't understand or picture what was what what it was about his game that justified him being sent down and i think that as days pass and he sees yeah. what he's being asked to do in laval more and more he's going ah okay yeah 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 okay well, fine. I mean, i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do what's being asked of me and then i'm gonna go back up but in that sense he's never lost confidence in his ability uh but i find that That's where the environment of the of the Laval Rocket is so good mm-hmm. and so professional that guys, when they get there, they're like, "Man, this is it's not the NHL, but it's really the next best thing." And yeah. they're, they're 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 it's a it's a very positive environment. And he told us that Norlander and him, while they were on the bench during a game, at some point Norlander said. Arbor, look around. They were playing a game in Laval. And uh, he said, listen, listen to those fans here. Look at that atmosphere. Where Wherever we could be traded in hockey, mm-hmm. we would not get the same experience, whether we're in Montreal at the NHL level or Laval at the AHL level. The guys go play in Hershey and Springfield and Lehigh Valley. And man, it's 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 dead compared to what they experience in Laval. So um, there's an uplifting part to their development that makes the blow of being sent down or just doing time in the American well, league yeah. so much easier. I mean, Jack I, Jack, I said he was looking around in Lehigh Valley. He's like, are we playing in the same league? Like this, what is, what is this place? And even yeah. Hershey, which has healthy crowds, 
uh, yeah, he couldn't stop gushing about, uh, about the atmosphere in Laval and, and, um, somewhat the similarities, uh, between Laval and Hamilton, which is his hometown, you know, kind of this, a suburban, more workmanlike crowd. I don't think it's quite the same in terms of demographics with Hamilton and Laval, but it's, but the reality is, is that Laval is a more accessible arena where you get probably a more, more of a diehard fan turnout. You have more kids in the crowd. It's just a more affordable evening. So you get more genuine fans and fewer, you know, fewer business types, let's say at the game, even though I think the atmosphere at the Bell Center is fantastic, but you do have, you know, a 10,000 seat arena that is often packed and, and, you know, they just, they just played, they just played two sold out games or last two home games. Um, yeah, it helps for sure. And, and you just watch our Jackai, even the practice that we watch, you just watch him on the ice and he's having fun. Guys are laughing. He's joking around with people. It's, it's just he's in a good he's in a good place, but he, he 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 can be in a good place knowing that he was given that assurance by management when they sent him down. You know, he literally he told us his first his first thought when he was sent down was holy shit. Like that was the first thing that went through my mind. And he's like, you know, you're just coming over that shoulder, and he's like, what if I hurt my shoulder again down there? I'll never be back here. Like it was just sort of dire things going through his head. But now he seems in a good place, and if they can. Uh, you know, if they can clean up the things that he needs to clean up, I'd like, you know. Oh, he'll be back. He'll be back. He'll be back. And, no he'll, and he he is, I think, a core element of this team going forward. I really do think it's the funny. Canadians view him that way. It's funny because I, I asked Logan Mayu, who's obviously he's paired with Mayu in Laval. I said, well, what has it meant to you to have Jackai next to you? So Arbor, her, here's my question. And he, and he replies himself, so, I'm a father figure. <laughs> so he's like, you know, yeah. from his, from all of his 22 years old. So yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. He's, he's two and, and a half years, two and a half years older than the guy, but he is, yeah. I mean, for my, he is, that's, that's reality. Like he's a guy who's, well, it's, because it's, it's, the not NHL about, experience. it's not exactly, it's not about being 22. It's he's been in the show. He's kind of, he's, he's, he's not quite that, but he's kind of the crash Davis on that team. Like in the sense yeah. that he's, he's been in the show. He's had his taste of the show. And now, uh, and he, he knows what it's like, what everyone's after over there. So, um, so yeah, right. it, was, it was a great, of, it was a great visit kids, over there. Speaking of kids that have not been to the show yet, uh, let's wrap it up. We have, this is, we're Friday. So this is future Friday. Yeah. Uh, uh, we thought, we thought of doing <laughs> a little, a quick roundup of the world junior, uh, which at this time of the, of the recording, Just ended with the the U.S. Uh, beating Sweden for the uh, the, the host host the, the Sweden gold day. host yeah. Sweden by a score of six to two. Uh, the U.S. Uh, USA really uh, you know ran away with the with the game in the third period with uh, three unanswered goals. Um, so the Canadians had four prospects in this tournament. Obviously, they had uh, they had Owen Beck for Canada. They had. Uh, Lane Hudson, obviously for for USA, they had uh, Jacob Fowler, uh, backup goalie who played three games, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Philip Meshar playing for Slovakia. So let's have a just a quick look at uh, how those guys fared. Um, overall, would you are you happy with uh, how the Canadians prospects uh, played during that tournament? Yeah, I mean, if I were the Canadians, I'd be happy. I mean, Philip Meshar was was a big time 
play driver and 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 a leader on the Slovak team. Um, you know, along with several other guys, you know, Dalbor Dvorsky, I thought had a great tournament, but yeah, Mesher was, was really continued to show what he was showing, what he's been showing in Kitchener since going down to the OHL and really what, what seemed like a really dire situation at the beginning of the season with Mesher talking about the difficulties he had last year and, and, and everything after this tournament. And actually now it's going to be interesting what happens when he goes back because this is the point of last season where Meshar's season went sideways, was on his return from the World Juniors is when things went south. Uh, but he plays on a very competitive Rangers team. I don't think that's going to happen again. He's probably going to be able to draw on that experience to prevent it from happening again. Um, so, yes. Uh, Owen Beck, arguably Canada's most reliable forward. I mean, it's honestly like it's, they had so many kind of uneven performances throughout their lineup throughout the tournament. Beck seemed to be a guy that the coaching staff was trying to get out there against some of the top threats on every other team, uh, which is going to be his identity. I thought he uh, he played a very mature tournament. Um, yeah. And, you know, Jeff Merrick reported yesterday he's on the verge of being traded to the Saginaw Spirit in the OHL. So second year in a row that he's going to get traded to sort of a playoff contending team. Um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what that does for him. But yeah, I thought he had a. I thought he had a good tournament. Uh, one of the, you know, one of a few people on, on Team Canada who could say that. Uh, maybe because the expectations well, were not quite as high. Didn't have. Yeah, Macklin Celebrini, of course. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think. Owen Beck can say that because no one expected him to produce offensively and, and sort of blow everyone's doors off offensively. And he basically provided exactly what was expected of him kind of thing. Um, and as far as the U S guys, uh, you know, I mean, Lane Hudson was one, one of the top players on team USA. And I thought showed a more diverse game than we've seen from him in the past was not just the flash and dash version of Lane Hudson. I thought there was a lot of, a lot more, um, uh, I guess maturity would be the word, but just uh, just a, a, a more solid sound game yeah. uh, mixed in with some of the, the the really flashy offensive skill he has. I guess the one, I guess the one guy, uh, you know, the Canadians probably would have liked to see Jacob Fowler grab that starting job that he that he ultimately lost to Trey Augustine, but that's, yeah, but that's, I'm not that's sure nit, that's I, nitpicking. I, I... I think that Augustine, being from the program, having been at the World Juniors before, he had a he was had a leg up for sure. No, Fowler had yeah. to vastly outperform him. Yeah, but well, I don't know. I don't know how vastly he had to outperform. I think he had a shot. Like I think I think they went in there with an open yeah. mind. But if it was it was if it was tied, then the tie would go to Augustine because of that. Yeah. You know, so I think Fowler had an opportunity. It's not that he failed to seize it or anything, but he he didn't he didn't win out in the end and so uh, and that's fine you know there's nothing I, I'm not I don't think he played poorly necessarily definitely that shootout against uh, Czechia against Czechia he was outstanding <laughs> that was that one save he made reaching his leg back I mean his competitiveness really showed in that in that instance but um, but yeah so all in all I think fine performance for, for, for all the Canadians guys that are there they don't have that many of them you know, I think Seattle no. has like I think Seattle has like seven guys in the tournament, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. and and did not send Shane Wright, which could have been like their eighth, but um 
but the guys they had there, I thought did uh, did pretty well. What what I like about Lane Hudson, you know, obviously he was still very efficient in his in his transition game. He, we talked about prior to the tournament the fact that he he had a chance like to to break some records as a defenseman. Yeah, I mean, and it was far from it. Like in terms of production, uh, I think that the 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 Americans, even though they won the tournament, they didn't they didn't like crush the competition like the high end competition. It, it, it they carried throughout the tournament the feeling that yeah they're okay, but can they can they give us more because they were so stacked offensively, mm-hmm. and part of the production that you could hope for from Hudson was. The surroundings, the fact that overall that group offensively was so deep, so talented that he would collect assists left, right, and center. Yeah. Uh, so I think he finishes with six assists uh, throughout the, the the tournament. He didn't uh, register a single point uh, in that finals game, in that gold medal game against Sweden. Mm-hmm. But what's very interesting is the ice time. That that's really striking. Uh, prior to the gold medal game, he had played on average 20 min- 23 minutes a game. He played 25 against Finland and all close to 10 minutes in the third period against Finland. That was the semifinal. And he was out there to protect a lead in the last few minutes of that game. Yeah. That's good. When you're Lane Hudson, if you're asked to be out there in a key situation to protect a lead, that's that you were talking about maturity in the game. That's a huge level of trust that's uh, that's given to you by your uh, by your, your your head coach. So that's that's the sort of sign that I really uh, you know look upon favorably. Mm-hmm. And today against Sweden, after two periods, he was almost he was over 19 minutes. So once again, I mean, I don't know how the third periods how it went, but it's uh, it bodes well because it, at that level, you can tell that he's a dominant. And 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 reliable in all situations type of defenseman. So he played. He, he, he played did what he had to do. He played twenty seven twenty in the final. He played okay. nearly half the game. Twenty seven twenty. Yeah. Led the team in ice time. Uh, yeah. Just ahead of Chesley, his defense partner, who's at twenty five sixteen. So still two minutes ahead. Um, oh, so. he had 12, 12 penalty minutes, just like that. Okay, I don't know if it happened at the end of the. Yeah. Game, so anyhow, but anyhow, twenty-seven twenty in the gold medal game. What a goon! Yeah. What well, a it's, goon but it still, it showed. I mean, this is an element of him that, um, you know, big minute muncher was not exactly his mo. Um, it is at BU, but it, it at this level hadn't been until now. And so, um, interesting to see that he can handle that. I don't think he'll ever he'll ever do that in the NHL. He's never going to play twenty-seven minutes in the NHL. Well, maybe he will. I don't want to say that, but. Um, Interesting to see him play, you know, a game predicated on just being sound. Yeah, you know, it's uh, yeah, I they're not going to make room necessarily for him, but I'm really curious to see whose chair and which chair he's going to take. Uh, he's going to be given the 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 the, the possibility to do so because is that that level of skill and honestly, like is this Yes, and and so this is like you know Ken Hughes has said when he ceases at BU we'd like to sign him, and it, it goes back to you know we, we were joking about the Sean Farrell thing earlier like what's going to happen if the Canadians are still somewhat competitive in March like let's say they're they're 
four points out of a playoff spot or five points out of a playoff spot and they're fighting to try and get back in the race all of a sudden lane hudson shows up and they're like oh we'd like this guy to get a game in <laughs> you're like really we're doing this again yeah. <laughs> like you know brian backer shows up and like oh we'd like to get him in a game you know it's like really like it's <laughs> we're doing this again okay. yeah yeah okay I thought I made it clear last time that this I don't like this <laughs> to be happening. Um, but so. would you agree though that Hudson and Reinbacker are a different level of prospects than Farrell? Of course they are, but I think the principle remains the same. And and so I think management would go to them. I think management would go to him and say, "Listen, we're taking these guys on. When you decide to put them in a game, put them in a game. But we'd like to get them in a game." doesn't have to be this specific game, which is what they did with Farrell. But we'd like, when you feel it's appropriate, please make sure that these guys get in the game. I think that's how they would do it if they had to do it again with Farrell. Uh, instead of imposing that he play in that game in Philadelphia, um, they probably would have done it differently. I think, you know, re retrospect, uh, hindsight being tw as, as 2020 as it is. Uh, so now if, they, if, they, if these two guys do show up at the end of their seasons – um, maybe they'll do it that way because I think I saw the consequences of doing it the way that they chose to do it. Uh, just well, it was the first time that they were put in that situation, and as a, as a management group and and involving Martin Saint Louis in the discussions and the decisions too. Uh, it's just it's just an, a way of doing things that needed to be defined, and I think that that episode. You know, helps well, there's a division of labor, right? Out. There's a division of labor, and 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 Marte accepts all the lineup or the roster decisions that are made, and just deals with the roster he's given. Look, he's got, he's got, he he finished the trip with 11 healthy forwards and had to play 11-7 because the Canadians decide not to carry an extra forward on that trip because they can't because there's three goalies on the roster. And because they have two extra defensemen and that's the three extra players are right there. And so they, so that's out of Martin's control, but that's not his job. He understands that, but setting the lineup every night is his job. So once they kind of stepped on that, uh, he reacted, <laughs> let's just say. So yeah. anyhow, I, I doubt they'll do it in the same manner, but it would be, it'd be exciting to, to see, one or both of these, these young guys come in and, and really start to uh, crank the pressure up again on this defense group and see where it can, can go because it's, you know, just to get back, I guess, to wrap it up, but with what we were talking about on defense, like that's what the beauty of the Canadian situation is that I think clearly the defense is going to be the heart and soul of this team when it's good. And it's interesting to see the the – sort of the germination of that process starting now with this sort of inner competition, but this, this helpful development, you know, like Jack I helping Mayu develop in Laval, uh, that could be, who knows? Like, I don't know who, like maybe Struble next season starts in Laval because he doesn't continue on his track this year and he helps arrive. Yeah, he might take a step back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, who could have guessed that Arbor Jack would be in Laval right now at this time last year? Like, well, was he healthy? Yeah, he was healthy at this time last year. Like no one could have foreseen 
Arbor Jack I being and so that could happen with Struble and that could happen and then and maybe he'll be playing with Rhinebacker in Laval next year and and and, and helping him be, as the guy who had a season in the NHL and is becomes a Crash Davis on that team at that point. So we'll see. But it's I think it's an exciting time for the organization as these guys, especially with the way the tournament that Hudson just had. Um you know, these guys are getting closer and closer to that to that point. For sure. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, wrap this up. Let us remind you guys that uh, if you want to uh, send us your questions for the Monday mailbag, mm-hmm. uh, you can do so by either tweeting us at Basu and Godin, or you can send us uh, an email at Basu and Godin at gmail.com. So sometimes the emails make for a more in-depth question. You get, you have time to make all the little necessary nuances. So it, it, it's fun. It, and it's uh, it's almost old-fashioned now to send an email. It's yes, crazy. It uh, is. It yeah, is very old-fashioned. And I would say, yeah. though, if you do email a question, please, please put it in a length that makes it so that we can read it on the show. I love the longer questions, and we read them all. And, and the longer questions are great. But it forces us to kind of edit your question. Um, so if you could not make it short, not make it like tweet length, but you know, two or three paragraphs, if you can limit it to that so that we can actually read the full, the whole thing on the air, um, or on the show, I should say, and, um, and not be forced to sort of edit out some parts of your question. That's, uh, that would be the one request on the email, but I do love, I prefer email because it is more detailed of a question and usually the questions are better just because of that extra space. But, uh, But try and keep those emails a little uh, readable, at least in the in the context of, of being read on the show. You don't like uh, why they so bad on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Why the, why, the right. pow- why the power play sucks so bad? <laughs> That's it. Let, let us tell you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we'll be back on Monday. Thank you so much for uh, for being with us again. The notebook is back after this uh, little uh, holidays hiatus. We're very happy to be uh, back at the helm. And uh, well, enjoy your weekend, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you on Monday. Bye bye.